Obviously, Joseph is a prime example of that. And that quote in Genesis 50, 20, that discusses that issue that specifically says, but God used your evil for good. What you did wrong, God turned into something that turned out to be incredibly good, wonderful, marvelous. The result was Israel being born uh, as a nation. Now, when we talk about this question of suffering, we're going to get into it a bit more later. But before we do that, Jesus told us early on that when we find ourselves in a position sharing who he is and what he has done in our life, that you will find yourself looked at rather oddly. That there'll be a variety of forms of persecution that'll take place, some which will be very vague and some which will be very specific. And that'll take place as a result of your light entering into darkness, even though you're not even aware that you've turned on the flashlight, but that's what's happening in the lives of people and the dark souls that we find ourselves walking around with before we have the opportunity to develop a relationship with God. So last week we talked about the fact that faith expressions are simple, but they're not easy. That all of us encounter these variety of situations where we find ourselves having to respond but yet not wanting to respond, and the other person not wanting us to respond to some questions that are just kind of thrown out or tossed your way because you have a faith in Christ, because you have a belief in relationship to the witness that God has provided us through what we refer to as, as the Bible or as the Gospels who lay out the testimony of who Jesus is. We said oftentimes those, those questions are really they're not really answerable. They're not meant to be. They're just thrown out as a barb or a banter. And we find ourselves going, I'm not sure how to respond to this or how to do it. And oftentimes, when I'm in the car later, I come up with a great response. Okay? Ah, that's what I should have said. Now, many of you think, oh, Pastor Lee gets those. No, I'm the same way you are. I get it in the car later. I go, ah, and I write it down and I tell you it. And then you forget it. Yeah, and we keep on going in that way. That, that's the struggle that we have because I want so desperately. It isn't that I want to do a one-up on the person. I want them to begin to think about how God can work in their lives. And I want them to have a relationship with the Father because it changed me so completely. I want them to have that same exact experience. And I know they can if they'll choose to. And so that's what it's all about. It's not trying to be this quick response and, oh, I'm smarter than you are and I am so witty and I'm filled with knowledge that you don't have. That's not what it's about. It's about, I know that this person is walking in life in loneliness. They don't have faith. They don't have hope. They don't have direction. They don't have purpose. And that's a horrible way to have to live your life. I don't want that for them. I want them to enjoy all that God has for them. So how can they respond to them? And last week we talked about the simple thing that when someone says, why are you a follower of Jesus, that you don't want to get into a whole lot of detail, but you want to respond kind of like Peter responded. See, when Peter responds in relationship to how, why am I a Christian? Why am I a follower of Christ? He says, well, that was pretty simple. You see, I walked with Jesus for three and a half years. At the end of that time, I watched him die. And then three days later, I watched him rise from the dead. I sat down and had breakfast with him right next to a lake after he'd done these fabulous miracles with me and the result of that is he clarified that when he died it was for a purpose there was an intention and that he took care of my sin through his death on the cross and he enabled me to have a relationship with God the Father 
Now, that would be Peter's statement. Now, obviously, ours is slightly different, but actually, it's very, very close to the same. So my response to a person that comes to me and says, well, why do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And I say, you know, this is what I believe, that Jesus died for my sin. He rose three days later so that I could have a relationship with God. That's what I believe. Now, if you want to get deeper, I'd like to be glad to go a little farther. What does that sound like to you? And they're like, well, you know, why, well, why do you believe that? And that today is the next step that I want to take us to. But that first statement is the one that oftentimes you can say that and then just walk away. Say, hey, we'll see you a little later. Let's have lunch. That's all you need to do. And what's happened is the Holy Spirit begins to stir that in them, just as they stirred it in me. And I'm kind of going, why are, what, I don't, ah, Jesus, what's this Jesus thing? And that's what happens to us. And it begins to stir, and it begins to stir it up, and God starts the siren call of the Holy Spirit. And later on, you walk up to that person, which will be you, and they'll say, okay, what is the next thing? You don't really believe the Bible, do you? All the myths and all that kind of weird stuff, kind of crazy things. Adam and Eve eating apples in the garden and, you know, serpents talking. And it's kind of weird. And you go, hey, you know, when I talk about what I believe, it's far better than just saying I believe what the Bible says. It's actually better than that. It's actually better than that. What do we mean by that statement? You see, today I want to talk about the testimony that God gives through his early witnesses that we're able to hold on to and say, this testimony I agree with and I affirm in my own life. And then we're going to talk about how God deals with the issue and the question of suffering. Why is there so much suffering and pain in this world if God is such a good, loving, caring God? Those are two pretty big questions, right? So let's start with the first one. The first one is simple. It's called, how can I have this faith and expression in my life? How can I have faith in the testimony? Well, let's look at our verse for today. I want us to read that together because this is a really big deal for us in relationship to understanding how faith works. Paul says it this way to us. He says this, the only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. Read that with me. You ready? The only thing that really counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, that's an amazing statement that he lays out there. He says, you mean that's the only thing that really counts? He says, yes, that's the only thing that really counts, that makes a difference in people's lives and in your life as well. So my question on that is, well, then how can I have expressions of faith in my life? How do I do that in my life? You see, after I made a choice to believe, I discovered... That God didn't leave it to chance that I would be able to know who Jesus was and what Jesus did. He had certain people that he lived with for over three and a half years write down their experience with him. What he had said, what he did, how people responded, why he was here on earth. And then over 120 of those men and women shared verbally with thousands of people who had lived in Jerusalem at that time and in Israel, and then they shared written letters about Jesus, who he was, what he did, and what he said personally. I want you to get that. Jesus set this up intentionally. In fact, in John 14, 26, he said this, I will send you the counselor from the Father. He's the spirit of truth who comes from the Father. And when he comes, he will tell about me. And then he says, 
to these apostles, and you must also tell people about me, because you have been with me from the beginning. You're going to give the testimony concerning who I am, what I did, what took place, and what that means. So they spoke about it. They wrote it down so everyone could read this testimony about who Jesus was, what Jesus said, and how he could provide us with a life that was complete. And as they shared, people were saying this. Oh, yeah, I remember when he said that. Because you see, these thousands of people were with Jesus during this three and a half year period of time. I remember that day. Yeah, the five thousand. I remember I was I was part of that group. I was part of that group. I was sitting there when we had all that food and fish. And I thought, where on earth is he getting all this stuff? Where's all the food coming from? So that's what happened. I didn't realize that's how he did it. You see, these are real people talking to real people who lived in a real time and interacted one with the other. And they shared this truth. And the result was thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to recognize that Jesus had died for their sin and enabled them to have a relationship with God. I want you to get that because it's incredibly important. In our society today, we're getting too mixed up. We're getting mixed up in the force and the tree issue. What I mean by that is that we get so into trying to defend the Bible, we're so caught up in this thing, we're going to defend the Bible that we fail to clarify the testimony of Jesus and his apostles. We get carried away with all this other minutia. It's the very thing that Paul talks about when he says, stop getting into all these arguments and discussions over angels and this thing and that thing and that thing and was it this year or that? Stop that. The only thing that counts... The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. And that faith is expressed simply. Jesus died for my sin. And he rose again three days later to show me how to have a relationship with God the Father. Period. And everybody goes, hmm. Deal with it. I believe that. It changed my life. Once you can deal with that issue, then you can move to the next one. Until you can deal with that, you can't move any farther. Once you deal with that issue, everything comes into a completely different way. Now, you have to understand, oftentimes people will question you about something in the Bible. And you feel like, I know I still feel like it, folks. I've been studying now for 40 plus years, and I'm not lacking in a fair amount of intelligence. Hey, I'm not dumb. Even my son says, Dad, you're not dumb. That was amazing. He actually said that. I'm not sure what he meant by that, but he said that. Actually, he said it much better than that, but I won't go into that in that particular realm. After all that time of studying and preaching and laying things down and writing papers and literally books, if you come up to me and say, Lee, I want you to lay out the specific reasons why the Bible is exactly true in all these irrefutable manners, I'll look at you and I'll say, what? Huh? I can do that, but it's going to take me a little while to put together all this and lay it all down. You see... I'm an expert in the matter, and yet I still would not choose to say, off the top of my head, I'm going to give you all this information. I might do all right, and I might do terrible. My memory isn't that great. 
The point being, you don't have to have all the answers. It's not necessary for you to know everything. It's not necessary for you to defend everything that's in the Bible. All you have to defend is a simple testimony laid out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Paul's testimony that takes place afterwards. But I simply start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Someone says, I happen to believe that the testimonies of the early apostles that were written quickly after Jesus rose from the dead are the verification of who Jesus was, what he said, and how it affects our life. I believe that testimony. I have faith in the testimony of those men. They live with Jesus, they walk with Jesus, and everything changed because of Jesus. And someone says, well, do you really believe the Old Testament? You know, those odd stories. And here's my response to you on that one, because you need to get this. There's only one reason I believe the Old Testament. I have to be frank. I've studied it and studied it and studied it. There's only one reason I believe the Old Testament is, is the Word of God. Here it is. You ready? Jesus said it was. I go, okay. If Jesus said the Old Testament is the infallible word of God, then, then I believe it. Now, how does that all play out? I don't know. Do I look like God? I don't know. But I find that every time I get, dig into it, I can find a fair defense for whatever it is that you want to go against it. But that doesn't make it true. What made it true is that Jesus said, I believe, and I believe Jesus. Do you see that? So when we talk about the Old Testament, someone says, do you believe the Old Testament? I say, Jesus believed the Old Testament. Now that kind of backs everybody up. Whoa, 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 whoa. I said, well, you know, Jesus believed the Old Testament. So he's kind of like a smart guy. And I tend to believe what he said. And as I dig into it, it comes out true every time I dig into it. But that's the bottom line. Jesus believed it. So do I. Oh, well, okay. Well, why do you believe Jesus believed it? I said, because the testimony of a reliable witness says Jesus believed it. The testimony is clear. It's been laid out now for some 2,000 years. But when it was written down, it was written before It was written before the people who lived there died. It was all written down so all the people who could refute it would refute it at that point in time. I know there's a lot of crazy stuff in the Old Testament. I'm not dumb. Hey, there's a lot of crazy stuff. I kind of go, really, Lord? Seriously? Is this Job? Come on. Really? What is it? He says, Lee, don't worry about it. Learn from it. Learn from it. But Jesus said it's important. It's very, very important. God laid this out. Listen to what it has to say. Now, people say, you know, well, I, I believe the Bible. And I go, well, do you know what the Bible is? Yeah, you guys all understand what the Bible is. The word Bible means is, is Latin for book or Biblia. They call, someone calls you a bibliophile. They're not, you know, they're not picking on you. They're not calling you something weird. Someone called me that the other day. He said, you're a bibliophile. And I went, What'd you call me? And that's someone who loves books. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm a bibliophile. You're right. I love books. I love to read. I read incessantly. All the time. It's incredible. God teaches me so many things through other people's writings. 
but the word Bible just means books. So when they say, when you say, I, I, I believe in the Bible, you're saying, I believe in the book. The books. You see, the Bible is a series of, of letters that were all put together. It started off with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the first four letters that were circulated in the early church. So they wrote these four letters to clarify who Jesus was, what Jesus said, and how it affects us. They wrote it down because they realized, I'm probably going to die. I guess Jesus isn't going to come back before we die. Because at first they thought he was. You can understand it. First, you know, Peter was sure he's coming back in a couple of years. So most of us are still going to be alive when he comes back. That isn't what happened. God had him write down then these, these gospel records, the record of who Jesus was, how he lived, what he did, and how, he, how it all worked out. And he had him write all those things down early on so that not only would the Holy Spirit clarify it, but that so that everybody else could say, yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. I remember that. Oh, when that happened there. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the other 5,000 situation. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And on and on and on. And that's one of the paces that people go, oh, well, you know, in the Bible it says, and I go, well, I can help you out there more often than not. But what I do know for sure is that the early testimony of the apostles was truly amazing and clear and concise and complete truth. And they were very, very careful as they wrote everything down so they'd help us to understand who Jesus was, what he did, and how it affects us. And so those first four Gospels were passed on from church to church to church. And so they sent it over to the lighthouse, and we read it, and we kept it in here, and we revered that message because, see, I wasn't with Jesus. And so we, we revered, we put that together. We said, this is so cool. I have a letter from the Apostle John. It's all written out. And here's what Jesus did this time. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Wow, this is, this is so cool. And they all memorized the whole thing. There wasn't that much of it. And then Matthew, Mark, all these other guys get into the act. And there's four different recorded histories. Because they want to make sure that everything that was important about Jesus was written down. And everyone could understand it. And it was handed out to all the churches. And then Paul gets into the act. Paul says, man, you guys, you need to clarify some of this stuff. And so he writes these variety of letters to different churches, one by one by one by one, concerning the specific area of concern. And he says, here's what this is to this. And he writes this down and puts this all together. But this is the most amazing thing about all these letters, everything that you've seen here. Earlier when we talked about, uh, when we went through the Gospel of John, we discussed the issue that there was a major issue that's never brought up in all the Gospels that should have been brought up. And the date that's special in this is A.D. 70 or 70 AD if you like that better okay and what this is is at 70 AD approximately 35 years after Jesus rose from the dead right in there we had this incredibly devastating thing take place in Israel that was overwhelming for all the Jewish people and for all the Christians at this point in time and yet this incredible thing that took place is not mentioned in any of the gospels is not mentioned in any of the letters and the reason it isn't is clear to me. Why, why? Why isn't it mentioned? It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. Now, what I'm talking about, Jesus speaks to it. He says, there will come a point in time in which the temple will be so completely destroyed, there won't even be one brick left. 
it'll be completely demolished. And you're talking about a huge, huge construction, a gigantic construction that was put together. That marvelous, marvelous temple that had been put together and then continued to be built up by Herod was going to be torn down piece by piece by piece. But it's not mentioned in the early letters. Instead, what is mentioned is stuff like this. John says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, who we heard and saw. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one whose life was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And that's First John, by the way. It's not John 1. It's First John 1, 1 in your outline. And so we see this clarification over and over about Jesus, but no mention, no mention throughout all the Gospels of this destruction of the temple. Why did it not take place? Why did it not mention it? Because it hadn't been what? It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't been written down because it hadn't happened yet. All the Gospels and the letters were written while the apostles still were alive. That was the point. The entire New Testament you have here, which is simply the gathering of all those letters together, that all the leaders of the churches said all these letters have been affirmed by the churches for this period of time has been written by an apostle or told to us that he had them write this down. And that's the only way you can be part of the letters that we refer to as the New Testament. You get that? I, I know that can be a little from those. But that's how it's all put together. It's these series of letters that have been gathered up. And the church has been reading them and excited about it. Anytime they have a problem, they go, what should we do about this? They open up and they look to the letter. Oh, there it is. There's direction to us right there. Paul told us how to handle that one. Peter told us how to handle that one. Oh, when we go to the Gospels, Jesus spoke directly to that issue. And then after some 300 years, the leaders gathered together and said, we need to clarify that these particular letters have all been written by an apostle. Or were verified by an apostle. They were written in accordance with his directives. So we'll put them all together so that some, you know, 1,300 plus years from now, Lee can stand up there and say, hey, all these letters were verified from the beginning and then affirmed at this point in time as yet we don't want to make any mistakes. These letters were written by an apostle or verified by an apostle. And they were written before the apostles Died. That's so important because you have a testimony from this witness. So when someone says to you, well, why do you believe the Bible? You say this. I believe the testimony of the men that walked and lived with Jesus. It was written down because they knew that you would say, hey, how do you know what he said? So they told me what he said. They wrote it down clearly while there were all the witnesses around. So we could say, hey, this is exactly what Jesus did. Now, that phenomenal thing that I talked about, 70 AD, I think God intentionally laid this out here, very, very intentionally, so that we have this huge historical event that would come into play and stop anyone's statement about when were the letters written, when were the Gospels written. Because it was such a big deal, it was such a huge deal that Rome calls it Titus's biggest victory that ever took place in this later emperor's life. See, the temple was destroyed only six years after it's finished. It wasn't finished till A.D. 64, by the way. That's why Jesus talks about it was still being worked on. A.D. 64, it's finally finished. And what it's finished by is the Wailing Wall is finished. If you go over there and you see the Wailing Wall of the Jews, and they go, this is the temple wall. No, it's not. 
That's a retaining wall that Herod put up as a final stopgate for anybody who would try to come in to destroy the temple. In fact, it would be the very wall that the Roman conquerors would leap over as they were killing thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews who had been in rebellion against Rome. These same soldiers who had been for over two years in siege against Jerusalem were so frustrated. They were tired of being in the sun. They were tired of being in the rain. They were tired of being in the cold. They were sick and tired of all this stuff going on. They wanted to go home and they were mad as, yeah, they were mad. And they got in there and they went crazy. It said the general could not stop them. They were so mad. And they began to kill everybody. It was a horrible scene, folks. Although I, I, I make some jokes about it. But it was, it was a horrible scene. Hundreds of thousands of Jews killed. Some people didn't say up to a million. The, Josephus says, when the temple was ablaze, the attackers plundered it. I'm quoting from Josephus and historian at this point in time. Countless people who were caught by them were slaughtered. There was no pity for age and no regard for accorded rank. Children, old men, laymen, priests, all alike were butchered. Every class were pursued and crushed in the grip of war, whether they cried out for mercy or offered resistance. The temple mount, everywhere enveloped in flames, seemed to be like boiling over from its base, and yet the blood seemed more abundant than the flames itself. And the numbers of the slain greater than those of the slayers. The soldiers climbed over heaps of bodies as they chased and killed the fugitive. Wow. This is a huge, huge thing going on. If you go to Rome today, you'll find this incredible arch. It's called a triumph. It's in the middle of town that honored Titus, the Roman general and later emperor, for his biggest accomplishment. If you look inside, you'll see the menorah and the temple objects being taken from the temple as it's being destroyed. This is a huge deal. I want you to look at this. Do you see this picture? This is the triumph. This is, this is the triumph of Titus. And this was built to declare, wow, you destroyed the Jews. You took down the temple. And if you go inside, flip to the next one if you got it there. If you go inside, you're going to see these pictures. And the pictures, you see a menorah there and all the various plunder from the temple. It was brought out. And they said, you took care of those Jews, those lousy, blood-sucking Jews. It was horrible. But that was his testament. His statement was such a huge deal. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not even brought up. And yet Jesus prophesied this was going to take place. I guarantee if I'm writing the Gospels, and it's 71 A.D., you know what I've got in there is major? Remember the temple. I'm going to have a whole chapter. I'll probably have five chapters on the temple. Jesus said. Jesus told us, get out of here when that happens. Before that happens, get out of here. It's going to destroy everything. Wow. This is a huge, huge deal. But it's not mentioned because the letters were written Before A.D. 70, while they were still alive. Everyone was still alive when this took place. Am I emphasizing this enough? Okay, I I think we got it. Great. It's, it's It's such a big, big, big deal. Once we understand this, then we begin to look at the fact of what was written down the Bible isn't what my faith is built on. 
My faith is built on Jesus, nothing less. His blood shed on the cross for me. That's my faith is built on. The Bible clarifies that faith. And the testimony, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a wonderful declaration of that faith, helping me to understand now how to have a relationship with God and to walk with it. The foundation of my faith is Jesus. The early church didn't have a Bible. It's about Jesus, who he was, what he did, how he lived, and the testimony is clear. And when I responded and said, Lord Jesus, please come into my life, free me from my sins, change me, he did. I didn't even know what the Bible was at that time. I began to read it. And it started making sense because Jesus told me he's going to send this spirit of God to help me understand and grasp the truth of what's going on. Now, I want to bring this home a little bit for you because yeah, I can see some of you are still like, oh, okay, I think we got it. NBC News anchor, big deal going on right now. Some of you are thinking about Brian Williams, okay? Remember? He gave a story and he said, I was in this helicopter, was shot down by enemy fire. And somebody said, what? Huh? Oh, yeah, we were shot down. And then we said, Brian, you told this story before and you weren't shot down that time. I wasn't? No. Oh. Well, I wasn't really shot down. I was right behind the ones that were shot down. The guy who's flying the helicopter comes in and says, "Uh, Brian, no, we weren't following that helicopter. They were going the other way. We were going this way. They were going... That way. We're going east. They were going west. Remember what happened? He's like, well, I I remember being uh, being in the midst of all that shooting in this horrible situation. The guy says, no, no, no. There was no shooting on us. We had a sandstorm. We had to turn around and and we had to put put the ship down. The helicopter had to put down. And we put it down next to the one that had been hit by enemy fire. And you walked over to talk to those guys. Oh. Well, that's not the way I remember it. It was 12 years ago. I want you to understand that when the apostles began to lay out the truth, all these people were there to say, no, 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 Peter, that wasn't exactly right. Peter said, here's what happened. Jesus died on the cross. Everybody remember? Everybody's nodding their head. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. It was a scene so everyone could see it. It was incredible. He wasn't just brought in a trial and whipped and beaten. This took all day long. This trial went on and on. It seemed like it took weeks. And then he hung on the cross. And it was horrible. Remember? Oh, yeah, we remember. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. I had breakfast with him. Really? Yeah. It was incredible. I was so overwhelmed with fear. Because I didn't think he'd forgive me. Because you know what I did? I betrayed him. And he forgave me anyway. No way. Yeah. Then what happened? Peter tells the story. Okay. And he writes it all down. And he starts sharing with us. This is what's going on. And John writes it down. And Matthew writes it down. And Mark writes it down. You see, that's the testimony that's given to us. That we can depend upon and have faith in 100%. Someone recently said, you realize in your lifetime, people will begin to discount the fact that the Holocaust ever took place. People said, yeah, right. Sure they will. That's the silliest I've ever heard of. 
Here will be the problem. When the last person is alive who was involved in the Holocaust, when he dies or she dies, at that point in time, they'll begin to say, hey, I don't really believe the Holocaust even happened. Is that happening? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. But we have a clear testimony that it took place. There'll be people who try to say, no, 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 no. Peter's sharing all these things while they are alive. And he lays this written thing down for us so we can clarify to others around us. And they say, hey, do you believe the Bible? And you say this real simply. I believe the testimony of the men who walked and lived with Jesus, who were there when he died and were there when he rose from the dead. That's what I believe. What do you believe? Well, what do you believe? That's my hope. Remember that statement from Peter? What's your hope? That's my hope right there. I don't need to go any farther. Well, do you realize? I said, oh, no, no, you're getting into minutia. What you need to deal with is Jesus and your opportunity to have a relationship with God. He wants to deal with your sin just like he dealt with mine. And it's your opportunity, your choice right now before God. That's what we need to deal with. Okay? Okay, we got that one out of the way. Phew. So, we got that testimony down. We say, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm feeling pretty good about that. I don't have to be a brainiac to say those things. Does anyone feel like they can't say those things? They're good. Because you all can. You don't have to be overwhelmingly intelligent. It's clear. God made it simple on purpose. He did it on purpose. Now, the second issue that comes in play with me, usually then someone goes, well, okay, but how can you believe that God is a God of love if he allows so much Evil in the world, sin in the world, suffering in the world. How can you believe that a God of love would allow suffering to take place in our world? And I go, okay, I've never heard that one before. You know, come on. Seriously, you're going to ask me the basic question? Everyone everyone always wants to go here. I said, okay, first of all, when you talk about evil or bad or suffering or whatever, what you're trying to tell me is that you think God is making a big mistake as our leader. God's making a big mistake as our leader. And that is that what he should have done was, you're kind of like, you look at Obama and you say, hey, he should have done this and this and this. You're saying this about God. You're saying, God, if you're really God, you would do it like this. So first of all, you're saying you're smarter than God is. So that's the first thing. So I want to make that clear. So that's the first thing. You're saying, I am God and this is what I would do. Any of you watched Bruce Almighty? That was a film just about the basics. I'm just saying, uh-oh. So perhaps, just maybe, just maybe God knows more than you do. Perhaps God is saying the idea of me being like Superman, flying across the world and jumping in on the really bad stuff and stopping it whenever it takes place is not the best response or a response that works in relationship to providing you with free will. Perhaps the fact that we live in a broken world that we broke has something to do with the problem of suffering and pain that we also have as a result of that brokenness. That perhaps God took a look at these broken people and his broken stuff and he kind of said, you know something, enough of this crud. And just kind of swept it out of the way and started all over. But instead, God loves us so much that he says, you know, I'm going to send my son down to help them deal with this mess. I'm going to bring him down so he can help them deal with their brokenness, with their broken world, with their broken structure, with their broken understanding. 
and try to help them get it. You see, what I have found out about God and his response to us is I'm pretty confident that he's a leader who knows what he's doing. I'm very willing to follow God. He's a leader who knows regularly what he's doing. But let's just touch on that for a second. So let's say that you think God should get rid of all the bad in the world, right? Okay, so how bad are you? That's the first question, guys. Well, how, how bad are the people you know? Where does God start? So if he's going to get rid of all the bad in the world... I think you and I are gone. That's one. And I'll laugh about it, but I truly believe that. I'm sorry. I wish I was really good. I'm not. I make mistakes regularly. I do some things I'm embarrassed about. I go, Lord, I can't believe I did that. I let sin invade my life at times, and I go, man, how could I have done that? I'm a pastor. And God says, Lee, yeah, you're pretty bad. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you through. It's kind of like sea biscuit, you know. I feel like sea biscuit at times. Oh, Lee, you need help, but I'm going to help you. And I go, okay, Lord, thanks. I appreciate that. And he says, it's okay. I have mercy on you. And it's okay. I'm going to work with you. We'll make it better. And that's the cry of God in life because the struggle we have is when is it really bad when is it not bad and we find ourselves going i really can't make that decision i said yeah i know that's the problem so god says hey you broke it you fix it it's your world live in it make it work make it work and that's the cry of god to each of us see god gave us free will and now we get to choose how bad we want to be For really bad, we call ourselves sociopaths or psychopaths. And we find ourselves in this horrible position because what I found out is what I think is bad, some people think is good. So I find myself going, you know, I think God may know what he's doing here, and I'm going to trust his leadership. I'm going to let God be God, and I'll allow him to determine how free will must work And how we can work with our area. Paul says it this way. He says, even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us, are as a foretaste of future glory, we groan to be released from pain and suffering. Our pain cries out and it says, this world is not right. It's broken. It's beat up. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. And nobody likes pain. But pain has great potential. And we have the ability as Christians to choose whether it will attain its intention potential or not. So when we say, why does God allow sickness and suffering? The scripture says he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all. But he can use it to bring about good. So why don't we just work with that? Perhaps our calling is to work with that issue. Where are we responsible as a broken world? What do we need to do to help bring about good in the midst of it? How responsible are we to fix it? David says God's our refuge, our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And the hardships in our life force us to the one who alone can embrace our sorrows. And due to the bad stuff, 
whether it be emotional or relational or psychological or physical, we find ourselves forced to to act and to acknowledge, I need help. And Jesus says, I came down from heaven to help you, to deal with your brokenness and to show you how to live life with purpose. I'm going to ask someone to come up right now. So I'm going to ask Cindy and and I think Jeannie's coming along with her. Where are they at now? Cindy, why don't you come on up? Cindy's going to come up and Jeannie's going to come with you. And these are two wonderful ladies. Give them a hand as they come up. There you go. Good to see you. Now, these two um, had to deal with an issue of extreme pain in their life, some more than others. And let me explain to us. I, I got a call. Uh, I was doing my mom's funeral, literally. I just got done with my mom's funeral. And I was leading the funeral. Dumb idea, by the way. But I was doing the funeral thing. We got all the way through, and we're in another area. And I get a phone call. And the call, and it's my doctor. It's not his secretary. It's my doctor. And he says, Lee, that test that we had just the other day? And I said, yeah. He said, are you sitting down? Whenever a doc says, are you sitting down, sit down. Sit down. I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, well, I just need to tell you, it did come out positive. I said, positive? He said, yeah, and that's not good. Said so he says, Yes, you have cancer. You have prostate cancer. And we're gonna have to figure out how to deal with it. So when you come back, we're gonna need to sit down and share and talk about how it's gonna go on. And so I got off the phone and my wife said, Who was that? <laughs> that was an interesting discussion at that point in time with her and my daughter. And we found ourselves going, Wow, Lord, now we gotta deal with this issue of cancer. What are we gonna do and how are we gonna deal with it? Now how did this happen to you? And now you need to get you a little mic here. Yeah, here we go. I should have done that before. There we go. So what took place with you? And when did you come to know you had some difficulties? Issues. Yeah. <laughs> Issues. There you go. Well, actually, much like what you went through, I had lost a grandmother yes. um, a year prior to my diagnosis. And um, the stre- I, I truly believe the stress and... Um, hi. <laughs> Am I going to go down too? Do you want to go down? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey. um, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think in, in retrospect, looking back, the year and going through hospice with my grandmother, my sister and I were her caretakers. And um, I think that stress over that next year was, was a tremendous amount of, of um Influence upon my diagnosis, but a year ago, uh, October or November, um, actually my husband was going through heart, open heart surgery, oh and two weeks later I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, and so we were dealing with quite a bit. And um, but much like you, my doctors were amazing, and they, I had their cell phone numbers. Mm. I mean, it was just amazing. But the he day didn't give me a cell phone. <laughs> The day of my surgery, um, I was at UCI, and that evening they couldn't find a regular room for me. So I was kind of in the post-op pre-op. Well, if you know anything about post-op pre-op, they're washing the floors, they're vacuuming. They're, I mean, they're, it's not like a regular room where you have peace and quiet. And I would ring the bell and say, I needed water, or I needed this, and the girl would walk in, drop it off, and turn around and leave. Like, I just had <laughs> surgery. Aren't you here to help yeah. me? Mm-hmm. But every time I woke up, that evening, the words trust and believe 
came to me. And I knew then that I could get through it, that, that, uh, that God was with me and that this was going to be okay. And it was in January I started my treatment, and I had nobody that I knew that had been through cancer, been through chemo, been through all the things that I had going forward mm-hmm. to say, what am I going to experience? What am I going to feel? What are the changes that I'm going to go through emotionally, physically, relationship, you know, your relationships change. And um, I knew then, after I started treatment, that I wanted to be able to reach out and help other people that are in the same position and have the same questions and concerns that I did. And um, it was in June of last year that I got involved with uh, another support group called uh, Cancer with Christ and was able to go through a series of classes where uh, Reverend Kathy Young teaches uh, other members or other people to go out into their own communities and churches and reach out to help other people. So I completed that class in October mm-hmm. and uh, through Diane and Byron I met Jeannie and Jeannie was going through her issues and we decided to kind of band together and um, bring it to you yeah. and here we are. So Head over to Jeannie. Jeannie, what happened to you girl? So um, four years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through that. And, and at the time, I thought, what? It was very mild. I was blessed. It was like a little hiccup. And I thought, what, what's the purpose in this bad stuff? And I thought at the time, it was for me to try to support and guide however I could anyone else who has this concern, this fear, this diagnosis. Mm. And then um, last November, I was totally shocked that I got another diagnosis. And um, I remember and praying it, over you after that. Pardon? I remember praying over you after and that. And it so worked. Oh. I had <laughs> so many hands laying on me yes. that were praying and doing a great job. But it brought it to the forefront again that good does come from bad, yes. from evil. And um, that... There are so many people out there that are struggling with this, either personally or as a caregiver. And as a caregiver, I almost feel that that's harder because you feel so helpless. You want to fix it, and you can't. You, all you can do is love and guide, and, and it's very draining, I think. So what Cindy and I, what we want to do is we're, we're kind of working through this. We want to be there as support. We want to help whenever we can. And every time we get together, it's going to be a new adventure. We're going to, what people want in, from us is going to be how we proceed. Sweet. For, for families and, and caregivers, um, not just cancer patients, because it really extends out from that area. So how would you say God was your ever-present help in this time of suffering? The first time I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I didn't really acknowledge that the Lord was in my life. He was there, but I didn't know it. And I fought everything. I fought the diagnosis. I fought the treatment suggestion. I was nervous. I didn't sleep. And this last time, it was like, okay, I have a great team, and I have the best Lord there could be. So there was no reason for me to question, to stress, to struggle, to do anything. I just... New and when it's so funny because people will say to me, "How are you doing?" And it's like, "Well, of course I'm fine. Why?" Yes. And um, that's the peace that I have. Yes. Now. Wonderful, wonderful, Cindy. 
I think um, when I was 24, I lost my mother very, very suddenly, and I was angry and upset and didn't know why. And at that time, it came to me that God knew better than I did, just what you said earlier. And I think with the cancer diagnosis, the same message came to me. And um, the entire time, I just, one foot in front of the other, I just kept going forward and trusting and believing that I was going to be okay and that I, there was a purpose and this is the purpose. Because if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd be sitting here telling you guys about this. I would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a great thing. Let's give them a hand. Now, you're going to know something. You're going to close with a couple of thoughts. Oh, okay. Uh, These two have, they have a special thing. They're going to start a evening. When is when's it going to happen? Uh, the first one's going to be this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And um, my husband and I live right across the street on Magnolia at 294. And we're going to start small and uh, just start it at our home at 6 o'clock. It, probably an hour, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. So whoever wants to join and is um, either suffering themselves, newly diagnosed, family, friends, caregivers, whatever, um, please, please feel free to either call Jeannie or I and uh, uh, come join us at 6. And we'll kind of evolve, like Jeannie said, we'll evolve as the need comes forward. And um, if we need to change times or days or hours, we can, we'll be flexible with that. The sheets are in the back, so you'll be able to get one of those. You say, oh, I want to do that. That's great. Okay. Last comment, Jeannie? Anything? No. Life is We're good. Life All right. Give them a hand. They're going to sit down. I, if you look at your outline, you'll see this statement in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, before he says that, he says this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For all of you who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, if it's God's will for us to deal with suffering... It means we don't need to get angry about it. We need to see it as a gift to be used, not a debt to be paid. Suffering paints a backdrop of perspective that allows us to more easily see God's faithfulness and his care and his willingness to help. See, in a time of trouble, God is our refuge and our strength. We will not fear, even if earthquakes come. Sounds like a California thing. And the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar. Let them foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. We will not fear. Suffering spurs us on to change our way. We're going to ask the worship team to come on up here at this time. You see, what it does to us is it says, time to go see Dr. Jesus. That's really what it says. It goes, okay, time late. Go see Dr. Jesus. Find out what's going on and how you need to deal with what it is that's happening in your life. You see, we are enabled and we're called to bring salt and light in the midst of pain. To bring healing from the wounds that our world is suffering from. Jesus came so you could bring help and support and encouragement to others. And that's why these ladies are involved in, we want to give help. We want to give clarity to your suffering. We want to help you to understand how God can use this. You see, in case you haven't discovered this, the hard drive of our life doesn't require downloading hardships. Difficulties just come as part of it. It's part of life. 
But God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So we don't give up. James, the Lord's brother, said, When these painful trials come, when the gift of adversity comes, we unwrap the presence of God in the midst of it. Because when those things come that we can't handle, God says, I can. I can handle anything. Allow me to handle it. Solomon says it a different way. He says, sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. Get that? A refining influence on us. We become like fine wine. Okay? That's the picture of the idea. Peter says, since Christ suffered, you must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had. Arm yourself with the attitude of faith. And then we produce strength from suffering. It's not a gift. It is a gift. It's not a curse. It's it's wonderful opportunity to see God work. Hebrews 12.2 says it this way. When we find ourselves in suffering, we remember our mentors, we remove our weights, and we run our race. But the bottom line of all that directive all through Hebrews 11 is this. He says... But keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust his leadership, not your intuition. He's our ultimate model and our mentor. He says, arm yourself with the same attitude that I had. When you're in pain, look to Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. From start to finish. You see, only Jesus will guarantee that we'll cross the finish line in life and be able to look back on the legacy that we've been left behind and go this was good trust your leader keep looking up our endurance will fail our stamina it'll stagnate when you're facing suffering in your life let this reverberate from your soul over and over and over let the holy spirit stir you up where jesus says don't give up don't give up think about All that he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him. So that you won't become weak and give up. Tom Brady, the winning quarterback. (laughs) For the Super Bowl. Is giving his brand new truck that he won as the MVP. To the rookie who caught the interception. Costing him some big bucks because of all the taxes involved. But he's given it to him. And the reason he's given it to him is simple. When you thought the game was over, when you thought there was no chance, it was done. This guy didn't give up. He didn't give up. Tom gave up. Did you watch him on the line? He thought it was over. This guy said, no, it's not over yet. And amazingly enough, he was right. When these tough times come, when people come at you and say, hey, what? When you find yourself suffering with issues of cancer or you've got to deal with other problems in life, don't give up. Look up and watch Jesus get in the midst of it and turn that time of suffering into a purposeful direction for your life. It's amazing what happens. Listen to this Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And then we'll have a special song. 
We're going to get a chance to respond to that. You're going to write down some things on your prayer thing. You're going to prepare your offering, whatever it may be. And that will end up the service, okay? So let's listen right now to these words from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since since we are are surrounded by such a a huge huge crowd crowd of witnesses witnesses to the the life of faith, Therefore, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Every weight of sin that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. That God has set before us. That God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Start to finish. Start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of the highest honor beside God's throne in heaven think about think about think about think about all he has endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so, so that, that you don't, don't become, become weary and, and give, give up, up.